It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Chris, happy Monday. How are you? What's going on, guys? Happy Monday. We appreciate you jumping on. As always, uh, talking a little bit about the Jazz today. They beat Memphis twice over the weekend. And uh, really, um, Donovan Mitchell had what you could argue is uh, his best game of the year, Chris. He scored 35 points on just 17 shots. Uh, can you talk, uh, I guess, a little bit about what a couple of wins over Memphis does? We talked about him last week. Uh, kind of sneaky good. Yeah, I mean, look, Memphis is solid, no question. But when I'm watching the Jazz um really over the last week, in addition to the last couple of games, uh, it is Mitchell and his scoring and how he's doing it in an efficient way. I do think, watch them, they've you know, rediscovered their defensive identity, which was you know, something that was that went AWOL for a minute after the All-Star break. And you know, we know Utah's identity is tied directly to you know, how well it defends, how easy, easy opportunities you can get off that great defense. So when you combine those two things together, you know, the defense reforming and, and Donovan taking his game to another level, um, you know, you, you get the team that we've seen for most of the season. Chris, we've talked with you in the past about the need for a superstar type player for a great team. And I agree with what Jake said and I wanted to get your thoughts on is Donovan Mitchell of the caliber now that he can lead a team against the best teams in the league in a playoff situation? What's your best guess? I think he is, and I think a part of that is the natural evolution of Donovan Mitchell, the player. I mean, he's still very young, just a few years into this league, so he had to grow and, and you know become the player that we're seeing right now. I think the other part of it, which is just as big, is that he is now, for the first time in his career, surrounded by – championship-level teammates from Mike Conley to Rudy Gobert to Joe Ingles and, you know, guys that can make plays and, and don't put an overwhelming amount of pressure on you. I mean, look, I always laugh at, at you know, people that kind of anoint Jordan as the greatest of all time. You know, Jordan probably is the greatest of all time, but let's not forget what Jordan was in the 80s, all right, when, when he was bowing out in the first round or not making the playoffs. It wasn't until he got championship-level teammates – that he became this playoff assassin. And look, a lot of that, much of that was Michael Jordan's greatness, but, you know, you can't, it's, the NBA is not an individual game. You, it's not boxing. You, you need great teammates around you. And this is the first year that Mitchell, I think, has had the level of teammates that should allow him to, uh, you know, play at a championship level. Now, all that being said, you don't know until you know. And, you know, when you get into that, that the postseason, you know, Mitchell's going to have opportunities to, prove himself as a playoff performer and if he does he's he's going to you know take this team to a whole nother level but it is one of those things that until you actually see it you uh can only guess if it's there going back to the grizzlies for a second because believe it or not the jazz play them not uh, tonight they have the the Cavs, but they play them again on wednesday three times against the same team in in six nights which is pretty crazy mm-hmm. but uh we're getting an up close and personal look at john morant and uh, what he's capable of. He had a great night Friday, not so much on Saturday. Uh, but uh, give me your thoughts on his potential, and if you were advising him on what to add to his game next, what would you tell him? 
You know, I, he's another one of those guys that you can just see eventually he's going to get there. I mean, you saw the way he played as a rookie, just the, the Russell Westbrook-like kind of explosiveness uh, to his game. He's added more, some more finesse to it uh, as of late. I think that's what's going to have to, to continue. I mean, one of the reasons that Westbrook, you know, just hasn't materialized as that successful playoff performer is that he hasn't added much finesse to his game. He's still this kind of bull in a china shop, and, you know, it, it can be successful in a lot of ways, but it, it makes you a little bit predictable. I mean, for John Morant, it's all about becoming more and more unpredictable. Just keep refining that three-point shot. Don't be overly dependent on your athleticism because that athleticism will eventually wane or it's going to be something defenses can scheme against uh, when you get into uh, into bigger situations. But he's... He's excellent. Look, they've been doing this all season without Jaron Jackson and, and a lineup that's been ravaged by injuries and COVID issues, and he still kept them kind of in that playoff mix. So I, I look at John Morant as being really a true future star in this league once, once he gets, as we talked about with Mitchell, you know, the kind of teammates around you that can make you successful. Chris, we want to ask you about some of the moves in the NBA. But before we get to that, let me let me ask you, getting back to the Jazz, you said you don't know until you know. Uh, a story that got a little run around these parts uh, from the other night, Doc Rivers was asked about who the best teams in the West are. I think the Sixers were playing the Clippers or something, and he was asked about that. And he said that the, the Clippers and the Lakers are the best teams in the West. He doesn't. He said the Jazz are playing well. Yeah, but, and the Suns. Yeah, but. So is this just a case of until the Jazz prove it in the playoffs that they are going to be always preceded by yeah, but? Uh, probably. And and look, I think some of that is is fair. Um, you know, Doc Rivers was was playing the last time the Jazz were successful in the playoffs. I mean, you go back to the days in, in the 1990s and you know since then they've been they've had their moments obviously with the Darren Williams years and Gordon Hayward years and all that but I uh, have not been a championship level contender uh, same thing you say with the Phoenix Suns I mean they've been kind of a laughing stock for most of the last five years it's hard for people to kind of wrap their heads around these teams that that haven't a lot don't have a long track record of playoff success as being on the same level as some of the premier teams I think it is a little bit funny that I mean, maybe it's self-interest, but Doc throwing the Clippers in that mix. I mean, the Clippers have been the ultimate letdown year after year. Every time they get punched in the mouth, they fold. So it's it's sort of hard to to look at them as being true championship contenders as well. But, look, I, I just think this is – and, again, this is the first year that the Jazz, to me, look like a team that should compete or win the Western Conference. You know, if, if this team gets beat in the first or second round – There'll be a lot of questions that have to be answered because I don't think that the Jazz have experienced their growing pains. They've, you know, they had the the seven game heartbreak in the bubble last year. They've had playoffs ups and downs in recent years. This is a year they, I think, they need to put it all together. So if they do, which I think they're fully capable of, um, you're not going to hear much of that Doc Rivers type talk ever again because it, once they prove it, uh, you'll you'll be more likely to believe what you see during the regular season. Chris, we saw the most moves ever at the trade deadline. Who had the best day? Uh, I mean, there are probably a few teams that you can point to. I think Denver did really well. Um, you know, you're not going to get out of the Western Conference unless you have 
hey, you know, a, a good defensive-minded three-four man, someone that can match up with LeBron and with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and all the, you know, all the, the go down the list, even throw Devin Booker in there, I guess. But they're just the, those guys that play the two-three-four spots that uh, you need a good defender. And Aaron Gordon is that guy. He's also a pretty reliable scoring option, has been uh, the last couple of years. So I think getting Gordon, JaVale McGee, I thought was a nice addition as well. Uh, that was that was a good deal. I like what Chicago did. You know, I, I I think that the Bulls did the right thing in trying to, you know, not get overly wrapped up in protecting their draft picks and keep the focus on winning. And, and Nikola Vucevic at 30 years old, along with Zach Levine, is probably going to put them in the playoffs, and, you know, that can be a jumping-off point for there. I also like what Boston did. I mean, you know, Evan Fournier, you know, people got on Danny Ainge for not making a deal that landed a Gordon or a Harrison Barnes or – somebody on a higher level, but Evan Fournier is a 20-point-per-game score that the Celtics gave up nothing for, like nothing. And that's been the biggest problem in Boston in recent years, where too much talent has gone out and not enough has gone in, whether it was Al Horford leaving for nothing, Gordon Hayward leaving for nothing. Uh, you got to bring guys in without sending other stuff out, and Evan Fournier coming in is going to immediately make them better. So you know, it, it was, to your point, there was some act, a lot of activity at the trade deadline I'm just not sure it shook up the board all that much. I still think a healthy Lakers team, the Jazz, uh, you know, maybe the Clippers, if we get playoff Rondo, uh, they're still the favorites in the West. And out, and out East, you know, the Nets, you know, when they get Durant back, are going to be just a scary offensive team. They didn't do anything at the trade deadline, and, and they still, I think, maintain their place at the uh, top of the Eastern Conference hierarchy. Two other moves in the West, uh, Chris, we wanted to run by. Uh, one is uh, Norm Powell to the Portland Blazers, and then uh, Andre Drummond with the Lakers. Uh, that seems like that's going to help that team. Yeah, on, on Powell to Portland, that, that helps them a lot. I mean, Powell has 67 playoff games on his resume. He's like – somebody else made this analogy, and I, and I, I like it. Uh, Powell is what Gary Trent – aspires to be like it could be in a few years so they got like it's basically like they put gary trent in a in a time machine and, and sped him up so there's progress and then you got norm powell popping out and so that, that's going to make them better but the problem with the blazers continues to be they don't defend anybody and i don't know that powell improves that at all so you're still going into the playoffs with the mindset that you basically have to outscore everybody and that doesn't work all that often uh, in the postseason so that still concerns me uh, with Portland. I love Drummond to the Lakers. I mean, that Drummond immediately becomes a starter. And I think people are going to get a look at just how good Andre Drummond is. I mean, there's been this this perception, and, and I understand it somewhat, but that Drummond was empty calories. That, oh, he's leading the NBA with rebounds, and he's putting up these 2020 type games. And, yeah, but he's doing for the Pistons, and they stink. Or the, the Cavaliers, and they stink. Well, yeah, they stink. Like, I, I keep harping on teammates, like, but. You know, Drummond's in Detroit, you know, with, and he has two seasons of making the playoffs to get beat in the first round. Goes to Cleveland, which is a worse situation. And I don't know that you can, you can just assume a guy is, is not a winner because he's been in, in, in bad situations. He's going to be in Los Angeles, and he's not going to have to do much. He just has to rebound, roll to the basket, get easy buckets. He's going to average like 12 and 12 easily, I think, in these games. He's going to be a much better version, I think, of Dwight Howard. And I really think the perception, if, if he's successful, and I think he will be, the perception of Andre Drummond league-wide is going to change based on these next three months. Chris, you mentioned the Celtics. I want to ask you about them because they remain kind of one of the NBA's mysteries to me at, uh, at 500 and sitting at 7th in the East. I certainly expected them to, be, to have a better record anyway at this point. Where do you expect them to finish? Are they going to go on a run? 
I think they'll play better with Fournier. Um, yeah, I, I just think having another scoring option there is going to be huge. It just takes a lot of pressure off Tatum and Brown. You know, Kemba's been so unreliable because of injuries that, you know, having a guy that just is, is pretty consistent, you know, when it comes to scoring, uh, that's going to be a pretty valuable addition. But but they've got a ceiling. They're, they're not a top-tier team in the Eastern Conference. The tiers are pretty clear. I mean, you've got, you know, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, uh, Milwaukee. You can probably add Miami to that first tier because of the moves they made. Um, and everybody else is kind of on the second tier. So if the Celtics, maybe they get a favorable first-round matchup, they can win that, but I, I, I don't see it. I don't see them getting anywhere near beyond the second round this year. They've, they've got some decisions to make this summer. They've, they've got to figure out that roster. There's been, again, there's been too much of a talent drain there over the last few years that as good as Tatum and Brown are, you need to do better, and they haven't hit on these draft picks. I mean, you know, Romeo Langford's been MIA. Aaron Neesmith, you know, their other lottery pick looks okay at times. Maybe he'll develop. Peyton Pritchard's been pretty good, but he's probably got a ceiling. Like they, they, they haven't been able to supplement that roster with talented guys, you know, while they've been losing veterans. And I don't know what, what they're, I don't know what the solution is. They, 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 they're just kind of between a rock and a hard place right now going into the offseason. Coming back to the West, Chris, I wanted to ask you about the Suns because you mentioned them earlier when we were talking about rising teams like the Jazz. But is this a team to be feared in the playoffs? Do you think they could uh, they could knock off some of the you know the more expectant contenders? They can, um, but that's also a team that I think still needs to take its lumps. Um, you know, most of those guys have not been in the playoffs, and while Chris Paul has, and that's a big you know part of it, having your point guard you know, have the experience that he does. There's a lot of things you just can't teach and a lot of situations that, uh, that you just have to experience before you get better. I mean, every team has, has gone through it over the years, and this might be the year that Phoenix goes through it. Now, maybe because of their record, they can win a first-round series, but get into the second round against an experienced team, and it, they're not going to be a walkover, but I just wouldn't favor them against any of the top teams in the Western Conference. I, I love what they've done. I mean, DeAndre Aiden, to me, is one of the most underappreciated players in the league because of the commitment he's made to the defensive end that's kept Phoenix, I believe, still right around that top 10 in the league defensively. Booker and, and Chris Paul have clicked like we thought they would. You know, they've got a bunch of other guys there that have played at, at a pretty high level. So I, I think they're, they're on their way. But just a, a team's first trip to the playoffs, and that's really what this would be for the Suns, for most of them, it, it just, there's generally very few Cinderella stories that, that are there where, where there's all this success the first time around. And, and I think Phoenix, you know, after they get tested this year, uh, will be a team to be feared years to come. Chris, I want to ask you about the Orlando Magic, but let me let me uh, um, kind of tell you where my question is coming from. They they obviously are in asset accumula- accumulation mode and, and breaking it down a little bit. We had uh, Coach uh, Ch- Gordy Chiesa on with us earlier in the show, and he was a longtime jazz assistant coach. He's an old-school guy. He was a consultant, actually, for the Magic uh, five or six years ago. And uh, Gordon asked him if he liked what the Magic did, and, and Coach pushed back to a little bit, saying it kind of wasn't fair to the players that were there. And he talked about, you know, quick rebuilds or rebuilds on the fly. And I guess my question is, what do you think about teams that that go for the big rebuild, you know, bottom out and acquire all those assets to to rebuild? Or what do you think about the concept of rebuilding on the fly? Well, it, it's it's proven that both methods work to a degree. You know, Philadelphia 
had one of the most historic tank jobs for several years. And while they were vilified for it, they did walk away with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons at, you know, two franchise cornerstones that have made them, you know, the contender that they are likely for years to come. On the flip side of it, you've got, you know, the Miami Heat, which have consistently said, we're not losing, we're not tanking ever. And what we're going to do is build a winning culture here and hit on these draft picks, undrafted free agents. I mean, they hit on Tyler Hero, a mid-first-round pick. They hit on Duncan Robinson. They hit on Bam Adebayo. These, these were not top-ten picks, blue-chip guys. They just identified them and, and drafted them. And, and that's really the secret to success if you're going to take that approach. Orlando is clearly just you know, going the Philadelphia route here. And I, I don't give the Magic a ton of praise for that. I mean, they just did the easiest part. Right, you you trade away your best players, you get draft picks in return, you can wave these shiny objects around, but you look at that Magic roster and they're now rebuilding it around Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac, and nobody in this league is going to tell you that Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac are top twenty at their respective positions. So you're building around like two guys that are just a tick above role players at this point. All you can do is say that you know, you know, they better get a Kate Cunningham or somebody else that that is. Uh, highly touted in the draft. And then as they move forward, they better hit on all these picks. The pressure's now on. Jeff Weltman, the, the top executive, John Hammond, the GM. I, uh, this is where it is. I mean, you guys know this in Utah. Like you, 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 The Jazz have been built on you know mid-level to end of the first round draft picks. And if you hit on them, great. You've, you've turned things around. You're an expert at building a team. If you miss, you, you look like an idiot. And at least if you look like an idiot, if you're Miami, you're a team that's, that's fighting to make the playoffs and building a winning culture. Orlando can look terrible and be really bad in the process. Chris, wanted to ask you about the NBA's plan this year. A little different for playoff qualification. There's a play-in situation. The seventh-place team and the eighth-place team, they play, and then the loser of that game plays the winner of the ninth-place team and the tenth-place team uh, in order to see who would get that eighth spot. What do you make of that? What do you think? I like it. It's made the end of the regular season um, exciting and look at it, it, We talked about the trade deadline. It, it's prevented, I think teams from completely bottoming out. I mean, I think Sacramento because they're kind of on the fringes in the mix and it probably stopped them from making a deal that made them appreciably worse. Uh, I, I think it's just made, it'll make the last month of the season pretty exciting. It's what it did you know, last year in the bubble when you had, you know, everybody talking about that Phoenix Suns run, can they get in? Can they put themselves in position? It just, you know, the last month of the season can be, you know, really bad basketball as teams tend to mail it in to try to get down to the lottery. Now you've got a couple teams doing it, namely Orlando. Um, and, but the rest of them are, are kind of fighting for those last playoff spots. Now I don't think it's going to be, I don't think this format's going to be permanent. You're not going to have 10 teams, um, getting opportunities to make the playoffs. But I do think there'll be a tweak to it where the, the ninth seed will have a chance to make the playoffs. So if you're like within X number of games of the eighth seed, you can get into some form of a playoff term. I think that's the mindset the league is going to have moving forward. But I do think that some version of a playing game or a playing tournament is here to stay. It's just, it's just made things too exciting for the league in a last month of the season that's traditionally been kind of the doldrums. Well, Chris, we appreciate it as always, and we'll catch you next week. You got it, guys. Chris Mannix, senior NBA writer. 
for Sports Illustrated. I wonder about that, if they're going to keep some of these tweaks, Gordon. And, uh, initially, my reaction is, no, well, let's not do that. It feels kind of, I don't know. I, don't, I certainly don't like it in baseball. Let me put it that way. But if you can find a way to make the last month of the season a little bit more entertaining, I mean, I'm certainly for ideas about that. Well, if the Jazz continue to hold on to that number one spot in the West, it'll be interesting to see who they end up playing. You know? I mean, yeah, I don't know. If the playoffs were to start today, the Grizzlies and the Warriors would play, and the winner of that game would play the loser of the Spurs and the Mavericks to see who would take that spot. Um, so there would have been some conjecture that the Lakers, with all their injuries, might drop down to that part in that neighborhood. And I thought, holy cow, can you imagine if the Jazz go to all the trouble to win their freaking conference, that they would have to play the Lakers in the first round? That would be nobody's idea of fun. Yeah, Hollywood fun. would come fun. to Hooterville in, the, in round one. Fun. Fun. It depends fun. on what condition their stars fun. are in. Uh you know, if LeBron's compromised and Anthony Davis is compromised, and that's the reason they fall to that spot, well, yeah, bring on that version of the Lakers because their surrounding cast isn't that good. I think both those guys are going to be healthy and ready to go, and I think Andre Drummond creates difficulty for the Jazz. I, I, I think that team is really, really dangerous. And, well, we'll see. Who knows where the Lakers are fourth right now. Uh, we'll see where they end up. How would uh, Drummond give, give the Jazz so many problems? I just think adding that kind of uh, physical rebounding presence to the Lakers is going to help them. I think it's the opposite of the big that gives the Jazz trouble, personally. I think that plays right into the Jazz. That means they're running a lot of screens, and that means they're running Rudy, or bringing Rudy Gobert to the ball more and more. Hmm. And well, Rudy, we'll Rudy plays pretty well against those uh, rebounding types bigs. It's the, it's the Nikola Jokic's of the world that give Rudy trouble. Yeah, but yeah, but Rudy's not the—he's not everything. I mean, think about that for a second. If you got AD at full strength and you got LeBron completely healed up and ready to play, and you add in Andre Drummond to that, you don't think that would cause the Jazz any kind of trouble? No. I, in fact, I think the Lakers' most effective lineups all have AD playing five. Well, they and then, do that too. And then AD drags Rudy out of the paint. You play Andre yeah. Drummond, that leaves Rudy in the paint. That plays right into what the Jazz do. Mm. Well, we'll see. I, I, I think that he's a, a major, major boost for the Lakers. I mean, if he were that good too, somebody would have traded for him. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we'll see how it goes. You and I are going to disagree on that point. I think Andre Drummond is a, is a huge ad for the Lakers. Um. I mean, okay, yeah, he's he fills that JaVale McGee role that they, I guess, were lacking. But, again, I, I think their best lineups are when Anthony Davis is at five. And if we're talking specifically about matchups against the Jazz, I think the more Andre Drummond plays, the better it is for the Jazz. Then that's every minute he plays is a minute that Rudy's not chasing Anthony Davis around. Okay, so if Anthony Davis is playing the four, who's going to guard him? Uh, well, in this case, you probably see Royce on him. And you like that matchup? <laughs> yeah, because that means Anthony Davis, uh, well, let me put it this way. It means that he's outside shooting more as opposed to doing some other things that make Anthony Davis better. Uh, he can, But he does everything. 
I mean, he is that good, I think. Well, he's a, yeah, he's a good player. But when he's at five, it makes them unique. Okay, so if Royce O'Neal's playing AD, then who's playing LeBron? Maybe you put Royce on LeBron and maybe you put Bogdanovich on AD. Oh, and that's a nightmare. Come on. That's, you think that's a favorable matchup? Well, it depends. And then I want to see I want to see Bogdanovich but, try to but guard Anthony here, Davis. Here, so, here's the point, Gordon, is that if you play Andre Drummond, that means Rudy is in the paint. And it means you can guard whoever you want with it, uh, or who, Anthony Davis with whoever you want because he's either shooting from distance or he's coming right into Rudy. I understand what you're saying, but I I think those are unfavorable matchups for the Jazz, uh, even with Rudy in the middle. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it turns out. Because if you say he'll shoot over Bogdanovich, I go, sweet. That means he's shooting from outside and not dunking on you. Uh, okay. I think you're simplifying this a little bit. I don't. Because I... if, if you got LeBron James on the court and then you have – Drummond and you have AD. Uh, I, I like AD's matchup all the way around. Uh, there's nobody on the Jazz who can cover him. Right. So give me Rudy waiting at the rim because he doesn't have to chase okay, Drummond it, around the perimeter. It, it, it plays it, right it, into it, the it, Jazz guard. It, it, Davis doesn't have to go to the rim in order to be effective. Again, then he's shooting, which is what I prefer Anthony Davis to do. Okay, but he's still going to kill you. He's not as good at that as it as he is around the rim. Fact. Nah, I mean, LeBron makes good. threes, and I'd still gap LeBron too. Yeah. The more uh, every time LeBron shoots a three, that means he's not dunking on me. I almost want to see that matchup just to see how our our breakdowns oh, turn love out. It. Because I'm telling you, you're right sometimes, uh, Jake, but you're wrong on this one. No, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> oh, when Law comes on with us on Wednesday, we'll ask him about this. Okay, let's ask him about how he feels like Andre, how he feels about Andre Drummond going to the Lakers. And I have a pretty strong feeling he's going to think that's disadvantaged Jazz. Oh, I doubt that. Well, let's ask him on Wednesday. Let's definitely ask him. On in Wednesday. fact, I think I saw him tweet something out. He said that Andre Drummond staying in the East would be a great benefit to the Jazz. Dave uh, Locke will join us on Wednesdays. We'll talk to him. All right, we'll, we'll find him. out. All right, we'll have more next. It's The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.